doesn't hide anything, does it? <laughs> Pocket. Well, good morning. Uh, glad to see you again. Like I said last week, uh, the resurrection is, is such an important, comforting, uh, significant doctrine, not just for the church, but I think for us uh, in this period of time, that I didn't want to just give it Easter. I, I wanted to give it three weeks. So here is part two of what I think we need to hear about the resurrection. It is always interesting to me, well, before we do that, let's go ahead and, and uh, read the passage. Your passage is printed in your bulletin, and uh, it's also in your Bible. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it, uh, you'll, you'll have that, that memory longer as you look at the passage. Okay, our passage is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of God. God. It is always uh, one of the things that um, has, has kind of started to stink about preaching is that God likes to teach me my sermon in ways that... I didn't really want to experience. Uh, when I preached on Christ is in control, you know, eight weeks ago, and because of that, we should not fear, and we should not panic. Uh, God took me through a 48-hour period where my computer and all my notes and all my Bibles and all that stuff were taken away from me in a rental car. Uh, and so I panicked. I learned to panic and learn uh, the irony of that. And then as I was preparing my Easter sermon about uh, not despairing, oh, I went through a lot of despair preparing that message. And then this week, as I talk about, uh, you know, awards and future glory, I uh, ended up getting a letter a couple weeks ago from the president of my seminary. He was telling me that I was going to receive a, a big award since I was graduating this semester, one that even had a, a monetary gift to it, and that was going to be presented to me in a ceremony with all the students and all the faculty. Oh, well, that really uh, struck me you know, deep. I, I like that. And excitedly, I wrote back and, and said, thank you for this award. It's an honor. I'll be there for the ceremony. So they sent me another letter, and they said, great, we just need some information about you so uh, that we can uh, present this information, uh, this award to you. 
And in that uh, second letter, it had this little line that says that this award is meant for an upcoming pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> so, I decided to write back and said, just so that you wouldn't be embarrassed, I want to make sure you know that I am a Presbyterian and am planning on being in a Presbyterian church after I graduate, and uh, understand if perhaps you want to give this award to someone else. And so they wrote back, and they said, oh, we are so sorry for our mistake, and yes, we do want to give the award now to someone else. (laughs) Gone. But I guess that kind of shows you uh, how, how easy, I don't, I don't, I'm not sharing that story to get your sympathy or, or to make, uh, you know, to, to, to congratulate myself or something, but just to, to say, I mean, isn't that experience something that we've all had where it's, it's like success has been in our grasp and it just slipped away or, or worse, success has been in our past and it just seems like it's uh, never going to be like that again, like we're living under the glory days which are haunting us from our past, or we're living in the, in the, in the vision that we could have success right now, but it, it doesn't seem to happen. And even though I never had that award, that it was offered and then taken back, you, you're in discouragement and you're disappointed. And I think that's a common experience. I think a lot of us are struggling with Similar feelings. I mean, as our economy gets rougher and rougher, our 401ks and our housing values get lesser and lesser, we we may even wonder, I mean, are the best days behind us? And I think as a church, I think we we wonder that. I think that's a question that's in the back of our minds. Um, Are our glory days behind us? And I think it's when those kind of feelings hit, and I think it's because those kinds of feelings are very prevalent, that it's time for us to focus on the resurrection again. Because the resurrection is God's assurance that our best days are ahead of us. And so, as we ask questions like, are the glory days behind us? We need to hear the resurrection message again and again. So today's passage, today's message is to teach us that our glory is not going to be found in rebuilding the past. But in witnessing to the glory of the world to come. In today's passage, we are going to see three ways that we serve as living proof of the risen Lord and how we can testify to the risen Lord in good times and even especially in tough times. We're again looking in 2 Corinthians. Last week we looked at at Paul uh, describing the the God of all comfort that he trusts in. And this week we're, we're skipping a couple chapters to pick up a similar piece of his argument. But I want us to understand the background of Corinth so that we can understand this letter and understand how we relate to it. Corinth was a relatively young city that had a lot of economic means. It was, a, it was the intersection of a lot of trade routes. And so if you wanted to make something of yourself, if you wanted to become somebody, if you wanted to quickly become a person of influence, you went to Corinth. Corinth was a magnet for the upwardly mobile type people. And in that place, with a little work, with knowing the right people and a, and a little luck, you could really find success that wasn't available to pretty much anyone else in the empire. 
And so this group of people that lived in Corinth were people who were marked by a desire for success, desire for influence, desire for comfort, right here, right now. And because that was the culture of Corinth, you can understand that that was the background of everybody that was part of the church in Corinth. In fact, because that, that, that was the issue that you see Paul dealing with again and again as he writes to Corinth. What, what do we find in 1 Corinthians but people who are arguing about who's following the best leader or who has the biggest spiritual gift or who's throwing the biggest party for the Lord's Supper. These are the issues that, that are, are causing controversy in Corinth. And so it's a unique problem that Paul is having to deal with. You could say that when Paul is writing to this church, he is writing to a church that was constantly haunted with a vision of being successful. They were constantly haunted by a vision of being successful. And that made them very ripe for a, uh, a, a group of showy preachers who came in while Paul was on another uh, ministry tour to come in who wore nice clothes and had impressive rhetoric and had letters of recommendation saying that they were really somebody to come in and tell these people, you can have the best church now. You can have the church of your dreams now. You can have the life of your dreams now. Just leave Paul and come to us. And so this argument, it just played on what they wanted. It played on that success, that glory that they wanted in the here and now. And it was very persuasive. And, and these preachers started to drive a wedge between this church and their founding apostle Paul by saying, you know, it just doesn't make sense. If, if Paul really has the right message... And if Paul really is God's messenger, then why is he having so many hard times? And that argument was very persuasive because how hard times fit in with the good news just didn't click with the people in Corinth. And so they were even starting to openly distance themselves from Paul, losing confidence in Paul. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians in that, on that very shaky ground. He is making a defense that he is still the apostle, he is still God's messenger, and they are still people that should follow, that, that should listen to him. So Paul's response, how hard times actually play into his witness of the gospel, I think is something we need to hear. Because we have been through tough times, and we can either go into asking all those questions and go into losing all that confidence and, and start uh, fracturing, or we can listen to what Paul says and perhaps see that it is because we are going through hard times that we have an opportunity to witness to the risen Lord, to witness to the glory that, that, that is far greater than the glory that we can find here. So Paul's argument is that he suffers and goes through hardship because he lives not for the glory of this world, but for the glory that is in the age to come. And so my hope for this message is that you will start to take on the perspective of Paul so that we no longer live haunted by the glory days of our past or disappointed by the glory that just seems outside of our grasp today and instead give ourselves to the greater glory, this unsurpassable glory that is ours in the age to come. And if we decide to take on that perspective and to be a church that lives for that glory, we will find that the resurrection's assurance that the best days are ahead of us are absolutely true. Let's now look at this passage and see the three ways that we serve as living proof of the risen Lord. Now, 
Your bulletin has a lot of blanks on it, and um, you could fill them in. I'm not going to be the best at telling you which blank I'm talking about. Uh, I apologize for that, so bear with me. But we serve as living proof of the risen Lord with, first, our lives that show the life of Christ. There are two blanks there. (laughs) Our lives that show the life of Christ. We're looking at the, the first paragraph Our lives show the life of Christ. Why? Well, the first reason is because we are the vessel, and he is the treasure. Paul immediately starts his defense for why his ministry has so much hardship and doesn't appear to be as glitzy and glamorous as these showy preachers by reminding them, I'm not the treasure. I'm just a vessel, and I'm not just any vessel. I'm a clay vessel. You see, when he says he's a clay vessel, he's saying, I am common. You're right. I'm not special. I'm ordinary. I'm replaceable. I'm expendable. I'm brittle. I'm fragile. All of that is true. You're right. That's me. And and he is saying, but that's because it's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my success. It's not about my strength. It's about the treasure that God has put in me. And it is by being a weak and fragile and common vessel that I show so sharply the glory and the power of God and the glory and power of Christ which is in me. The treasure that he is talking about is, is, I believe, referring back to verse 6 which says that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, I don't want to be showy. I don't want to be impressive. I don't want to have letters of recommendation because I want wherever I go, Christ's treasure to be the focus. And so the question that it comes to us, why are we so discouraged feeling ordinary? Why are we so threatened feeling vulnerable? It is in those conditions where we as a clay vessel are found to be extremely common and extremely fragile that we are able to show the glory, the treasure of Christ. Let's quit looking at what we don't have, and start recognizing the thing we always have and the thing that we have that is better than anything we've ever lost is still here and still shines. It's the treasure of Christ. And so as as we think about this, what are we showing the world? Are we focusing on making ourselves the most presentable vessel? Or are we focused on displaying the most magnificent treasure through us? Let us be a people who in hard times and good times always focus on the treasure of Christ and making that manifest. We see here that Christ is more than our treasure. He is our strength. Paul goes through four contrasts about his ministry. He says, uh, yes, you're right. We can be overwhelmed. In every way, he says, we are afflicted. 
we are dismayed, we are persecuted, we are thrown down. And those showy preachers are going to point out every failure, every hardship, every stoning, every imprisonment, every riot that Paul has been in and says, look at what an embarrassment he is. Look at what a, 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 a ridiculous apostle he must be. How could he be God's messenger with all of that? And Paul is saying, absolutely right, I have been through all of this. And that's the, that's the fleshy perspective, to just see how torn up, how crushed he has become. But he says, you need to look at it from the other direction. Yeah, I've been afflicted, but you know what? I've not been overcome. Yeah, I've been dismayed, I've been perplexed, but you know what? I've not become hopeless. Yeah, you're right, I have been persecuted, but you know what? I've never been abandoned. And yeah, you're right, I've been thrown down, I've been pushed into the ground, but you know what? I have never been destroyed. And so as all of that that has come upon him to overwhelm him, he is able to show the other perspective that in all of that, the strength of Christ has been shown in ways that they couldn't be seen otherwise. It is because he was a cracked and chipped and nearly thrown away vessel that still stands intact somehow that we discover that what is there is not just an apostle. It is the treasure, the power of God. That changes our perspective, doesn't it? It changes what we, how we view our hardships. Our hardships don't have to be pl places where we say, yeah, it, it's, it's just really bad. It can be places where we can say, but, but thank God the treasure is keeping us through. And I think we have been through a similar example with, with the lawsuit. I mean, that lawsuit's taken us, taken us through the, the knothole, but it's not destroyed us. And because it's not destroyed us, we know that Christ's power is being manifest. Do you know how frustrating it must be? How much money has been spent to shut us up? And yet, we keep rising back up. Because the power of Christ is protecting his faithful. And in that, we are being witnesses simply because we are the vessel and he is the treasure. B, that'll make it easy. We, we show the life of Christ in our lives because he is shown in our faithfulness. Paul basically makes the same statement twice. He says, we, we constantly carry around the death of Jesus or are being handed over uh, by God uh, to show the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus in us might be manifest. Paul is saying, in my ministry, in my hardship, I am finding that I am only manifesting who Christ is. Because as we carry Christ, as we let this treasure in us shine through us and, and be who we are and be what we preach and be what we talk about and be what we make other people see when they see us, then you know what? Just like Christ, you will experience rejection. You will experience hardship. You will experience persecution, mockery, and ridicule. But that's because to the world, you carry the judgment of Christ in you. You carry the death of Christ in you. And so we need to make sure as we look at what, what we are going through, is this because we are being faithful to Christ? If it is because we are being faithful to Christ, then Paul is showing us that's good. That's good. 
We are living proof of the risen Lord. We are living proof of the greater glory. And I'd rather be that than the showy preacher. And then even when we get all this junk pounded on us because of who we are and our faithfulness and our witness and our, and our naive faith in Christ, every time God delivers us and pulls us back and gives us hope that overcomes the despair, we manifest the truth, the life of Christ. We show when we keep getting up, when we keep seeing this world as, as, as uh, not the prize, but as Christ is the prize, we show the world the life of Christ, the hope of Christ, the promise of Christ. So either in our death, we demonstrate the death of Christ, or in our deliverance, we demonstrate the resurrection of Christ. Paul sums that up in verse 12. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What that means is that the gospel advances through life or death so long as we remain faithful. Perhaps if we gave up the desire to be so extraordinary and just accepted that we were ordinary jars of clay, we could show this world the extraordinary treasure even in our hardship. So number two. We serve as living proof of the, uh, of the risen Lord with our voices that proclaim the grace of Christ. And we're looking now at verses 13 through 15. Paul takes this, uh, his argument and then he moves into the next paragraph and says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul quotes just a snippet of Psalm 116. And that is uh, right after Psalm 115 and before Psalm 117. But the, the significance of this is that this is a psalm written by a person who has gone through persecution, has been afflicted, has gone through the knothole, and yet through all of that, he has found his faith is unshaken in the God who delivers. And so because his faith is unshaken in the God who delivers, who has time and time again pulled him out of the snares of death, he can do nothing less than live his life speaking and proclaiming the deliverance of God and giving thanks to that God who delivers him. Now, Psalm 116 is also part of uh, what is called the uh, Hillel Psalms. It's the group of Psalms from 113 to 118. And the only reason that's interesting is that those Psalms were sung every Passover. When, when they got together and they had the Passover meal, they would sing through the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. And in fact, if you look at, at Matthew 26, 30, you will hear reference that the disciples and Jesus sang a song as they were going to Gethsemane. The significance of that is that Jesus sang this psalm, had this psalm recently in his mind when he headed to Gethsemane, to his betrayal, to his arrest, to his scourging, to his crucifixion. And so Jesus is the righteous sufferer who has gone through all the suffering, all the affliction, all the crushing, all the hatred that this world can offer, but he knew the faith 
of Psalm 116. And he died on that cross as a faithful witness. And because he died on that cross as a faithful witness, and because Paul knows that Christ is risen, his faith is confirmed in the resurrection of Christ too. He says, because I know Christ is risen, I know that I will be risen as well. And so when Paul says, therefore I, I believe and therefore I speak, he's saying, what else can I do but tell the world of the faithful, righteous, suffering servant who died for me? Because I have the courage to share his message because I have seen him be raised from the dead and exalted to heaven. Therefore, because I know Christ is risen, I know I will be risen, and therefore I can give my life courageously to the message of Christ. Now, I'm not going to lay a guilt trip on you about evangelism except to say this. Every person in the New Testament that I've found that has been delivered from Christ became an evangelist. They went and told their friends. They went and shared the good news. It was joy that they could not uncover. And because they lived in the light of the resurrection, they knew that that news was unstoppable because death itself has been taken away. And so they believed in the resurrection. They believed in the risen Lord. They had both the joy of sharing the message and the courage to share the message. So because we are delivered by Christ we witness. Our voices share and proclaim the grace of Christ. And if that brings suffering upon us now, if that brings ridicule upon us now, it's okay because we are not living for the glory that this world offers. We're okay with being ordinary because we would rather be bringing glory to our Father in heaven because that glory is going to last. And that's what we see as we, as we look at point B. Because we are delivered, we give ourselves to the spread of the gospel. Paul then starts talking about how he's, he, he has given himself for your sakes, so that as grace may abound to more and more, more thanksgiving may be given to the glory of God. Listen, we live in an age where everything can be taken away. And we live in a church where we have slid down from where we want to be. But you want to know one thing that you can work on, one thing that you can do right now that will never be taken away? Go to work making worshipers of God. Because if you make worshipers of God, you are, creating, you are, you are adding glory to God, and that is something that will last through this world and into the next. Paul is excited to say that he is going to be with the people who he is, has, has brought to Christ. He is going to be there giving glory to God. The greatest thing we can participate in this world or the next is increasing the worship and glory of God. Do we have that passion? Do we have that passion? And is there any reason that we can't still be doing that? Number three, our hearts are fortified with the glory of Christ. We serve as living proof of the risen Lord with our hearts that are fortified with the glory of Christ. And here we're looking at verse 16 through 18. We see when, when Paul says, we do not lose heart, he says that because I know that my Lord is risen, I have courage. I have courage. And his courage is based on three different um, truths. First, he has courage because he knows that God is at work in us. 
He says, yes, day to day my life is being wasted away. I am being crushed. But also day to day I am being renewed. I am being transformed. And so he knows that even in the hardship, God is with him. From the outer perspective, the showy preachers could, could, could point to all the problems with Paul, all the, the scars on Paul. But Paul, because he had faith in the risen Lord, knew that even in all these scars, the promise of Romans 8.28 is true. All things are working together for the good of those who love him. And Paul could see that in, in, in small glimpses. I'm not saying that every moment of suffering that, that we go through, we can see how it's happening, but we can trust in the God who raised the dead that he is going to transform us and renew us day by day. I, was, I heard uh, an example, an illustration from some other sermon, uh, and he, he, was, he talked about, as he was a young boy, how his grandmother liked to do uh, stitching work. On, on you know, like crochet or something and he was small and all he could do was see from the underneath uh, of this crochet and so all he could see was this these odd knots and this this disfigured shape and uh, threads that were loose and all of that and it, it was a mess and it was ugly underneath there but when his grandma would turn it around he would see the pretty picture what has been made and because we can only see the bottom side from time to time we can be discouraged but don't lose heart. God is making something out of us through all of this. That is, as long as we are faithful. And we have courage knowing Christ's glory is unrivaled. Verse 17 says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He is able to say of all that he's been through, it's light, it's insignificant, it's momentary, it can't last very long, because he is able to fix his sights on the glory that he says is eternal and weighty, meaning in the scales of what he is, is looking forward to and what he has gone through, there is no comparison. In fact, the words is, it's surpassing, surpassing greatness. Uh, it, it's it's uh, fun reading the Greek, but we'll leave it in the English. Uh, Paul is going through his suffering and it's not, it's not discouraging him. It's not creating disappointment. What is it doing? It is creating longing in him because every affliction he's going through, he is finding himself conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. And as he is conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ, he can see more clearly the glory of Christ that will be his. You cannot lose more then God can give back to you. And Paul saw that promise fulfilled day in and day out. And so he knew he was living for the glory that was not in this age, but in the age to come. And finally, we have courage knowing that there is more to life than this world. Paul says that we do not look at what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is transient, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that's so hard to explain, and I, I expect Paul was struggling with, if you, if you only have this fleshy perspective about how many hardships I've gone through, how can I explain to you the world that can only be seen by faith? And as a preacher of this passage, I'm a bit stumped. If you cannot see how hardships are manifesting the treasure of Christ, and if you don't have faith that there is an eternal weight of glory that's ahead of you, and if you don't believe that every day of your life God is accomplishing 
a renewal in you that is making you ready for heaven, I can't in words tell you what it is. It is something that you can only see by faith. But I can hopefully give an illustration, uh, one that, that we can look, kind of go alongside. It's a parable. It's uh, a modern-day parable, one that uh, was written by Henry Newman. He says to us, Imagine twins, a brother and a sister, talking to each other in their mother's womb. The sister said to the brother, I believe there is life after birth. Her brother protested vehemently, no, 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 this is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place and we have nothing else to do but to cling to the cord that feeds us. The little girl insisted, there must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place with light where there is freedom to move. Still, she could not convince her twin brother. And after some silence, the sister said hesitantly, I have something else to say and I'm afraid you won't believe that either, but I think there is a mother. Her brother became furious. A mother, he shouted. What are you talking about? I have never seen a mother and never have you. Who, have, who put that idea in your head? As I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place after all. We have all we need, so let's be content. The sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response and for a little while didn't dare say anything more. But she couldn't let go of her thoughts and since she had only her twin brother to speak to, she finally said, don't you feel these squeezes every once in a while? They're quite unpleasant and sometimes very painful. Yes, he answered. What's special about that? Well, the sister said, I think that these squeezes are there to get us ready for another place, much more beautiful than this, where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? And the brother didn't answer, not wanting to talk about this anymore, thinking that his sister was foolish. You see, Talking about heaven, talking about the glory that is in the age to come, it does sound like foolishness if you don't know the risen Lord. And I can't explain it to you until you have that relationship with the risen Lord. Paul tells us that it is like there's a veil over our face, but that veil is removed the moment that we turn and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I, 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 I'm not saying that I'm speaking to a group of unbelievers, but I am saying that is there a veil? of some sort, some opacity that is over our faces right now that is keeping us from seeing glory, from seeing the hope and the, and the, the beauty that is, that is ours, the treasure that is in us. Because if, if we are like Paul, even now we have treasure in us. Even now we have a message to share. Even now we have a hope of eternal glory that is undiminished. And we have courage to break out into this world and show them that this world is not the end. If we set our sights on the future glory that we have assured to us because Jesus Christ has come back from the dead and said, I have prepared a place for you and I assure you I will come back for you, then we have all that we need to become a church that manifests and shows forth the awesome glory of God. And you know what? If that's the church we become, our glory days are not behind us. Because the resurrection assures us that the best days are ahead. So how would we get that? How would we get those eyes of faith? What, what do we need to do? Well, the author of Hebrews says that we need to set our sights 
on, on Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the shame of the cross. If we want to be a church that manifests the glory, that becomes living proof of the risen Lord, then we need to be a church that is on fire, passionate, consumed with Jesus. We need to just be bubbling up with the love of Jesus. And we need to focus on exalting Christ every day. Um, how do you do that? How do you do that? I, I think that it, it, it just basically comes down to receptivity. We need to let the risen Lord dwell richly in us. And we need to ask him to show us more and more of his glory by daily prayer. We need to commit ourselves to catching the vision that Paul had. Because Paul is the one that made a difference in this world. I don't know what the Corinthian church did. If the Corinthian church kept going looking for its own success and kept being haunted by its, its uh, pursuit of glory, then it has left us nothing. But the Apostle Paul stands 2,000 years of showing us that if you live for the eternal glory, if your vision of Christ is sharp, that you will change the world. The epitaph for us of the Apostle Paul in, in Acts is, he turned the world upside down with the news that he shared. And that can be true. That can be the good news of Gashlin's future. That we can turn the world upside down simply by being faithful messengers and proof of the risen Lord. It's exciting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the risen Lord so that we can comfort and be comforted. We thank you so much, Father, that you have given us the risen Lord so that we can be encouraged and have courage. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill us anew with a vision of your glory, that you would fill us again with the beauty of Christ, that you would put in our minds the, the, the truth of Christ crucified and Christ risen. And Father, that we would be like Paul who boasts in nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, the risen Lord gives us all that we need to face this world with courage. It gives us all the glory that we could hope for. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray, search our hearts. Why the discouragement? Why the disappointment? Father, reveal to us the idols in us that have made us haunted by former glory and the idols in us that make us dread the thought of being ordinary. Father, let us rejoice in being jars of clay because we are filled with the treasure of Christ. Oh, Father, make that true. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and do the benediction. <laughs> That's, you know when you preached a good sermon, when you just go straight to the benediction. Uh, yeah, I know what time it is. Uh, all right, receive the benediction. Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen.